great. Thank you for uh, sticking around this afternoon. I'm glad a few people did. But uh, <clears throat> those of you that uh, were able to see the presentation uh, this morning, um, let me tell you a little bit about, uh, fill in some things, and then if you have some questions for me about New Zealand, I'll, I'll take a few questions about the country. <clears throat> um, in the presentation we saw this morning were a lot of the, uh, the young people uh, and uh, people in New Zealand that we had uh, opportunity to work with and see come to trust the Lord as your Savior uh, in New Zealand. I was sharing at uh, lunch today some of the different things about the country of New Zealand and, and the teenagers. Uh, one of the things about the teenagers in New Zealand, uh, the kids are taught how to, it's a socialistic country, so um, socialism, they're, they're taught in school how to work the dole or the welfare system. At 16 years of age, 50% of the kids in New Zealand will stop their education at 16. And you can do that legally, stop your education at 16. But you know, most of those kids, what they'll do is they'll go right on to welfare, they'll live the rest of their life on welfare, and they have no purpose in life. You know, a lot of those kids will go out and just get a job at McDonald's or at grocery stores or a service type place, and a lot of those kids end up committing suicide. Uh, when we came back in 2009, my son had worked at a grocery store, and three of the young ladies that he worked with us with at the store within three months of us coming back committed suicide. Because those young people are not taught that there's a purpose in life. You know, there's no reason to better yourself. There's nothing to get ahead for. You know, this is just what life is. This is what you're going to deal with, and here you go. So those kids end up in drug and alcohol and everything else that goes along with that, and you know, at the end of it, they look back at 2021 20, and those few short years and say, what, what is life all about? And, you know, we end up dealing with a lot of young people in New Zealand that struggle that way. Um, in New Zealand, it's a matriarchal society, so the men forfeit their, <clears throat> their responsibility to lead in their homes to the women in New Zealand. So uh, in New Zealand, at least was sharing with pastor's wife at lunch that, you know, in New Zealand, it takes a long time to get a work going. Once you get a work going, you want to turn that work over to a national. But because men don't understand what leadership is, what it even looks like, you have to win a young person or a teenager and train them all the way through and keep them uh, in the church and keep training them through and eventually pray that the Lord would call one of those young men into the ministry. I know of two churches right now that have... Kiwi pastors and missionaries that have been there for 15 plus years that have led young people of the Lord, trained them all the way through and was able to turn the work over. But uh, oddly enough, both of, those, both of those young men did not marry Kiwi ladies. They married New Zealand or American uh, young ladies. Uh, and I, I believe it's because the Kiwi young ladies and New Zealand girls don't understand the biblical role of submission either. So to, to submit to their husband uh, in their home. So I believe that that plays right along with all of that together. So it can be a difficult uh, process to get a church to turn over to a, uh, a Kiwi in the country and see that church go forward. But that is always the goal as a church planner to have a New Zealander take over. And you'll hear me refer to Kiwis. Kiwi, of course, you have Kiwi fruit in New Zealand. You have Kiwi birds, and the people are known as Kiwis. So uh, as you talk about the New Zealanders, uh, they're affectionately known around the world as Kiwis. But, uh, so that's why you'll hear me say Kiwis. But uh, does anybody have a question about New Zealand? Yes? Uh, there are quite a few different religions. Um, Anglicans, um, Catholics, Lutherans, Presbyterian. 
just about everything that we have here, but all of them, their numbers are dwindling. And really, the majority of the population have no religious belief at all in anything. Yes, sir, I see that little hand right there. How long have we been in New Zealand? We were in New Zealand for five years, and then uh, we had an emergency we had to come back to the States for, and now we're going back to New Zealand. So we were in New Zealand for five years. Anybody else? Yes, sir? Uh, there are some Muslims in New Zealand, but not like, um, you know, we say you know, the term radicalized. There's nothing like that in New Zealand. Um, there are some there. But New Zealand is so far off the beaten path, and they would just roll over anyways for anybody. I mean, they really don't have a military or anything. So if anybody wanted to go in there, they could take over the country pretty easily. You could probably do it with a paper clip. <laughs> but, you know, we don't really, we have never, I have never dealt with any in the South Island, when we were on the South Island, Muslims at all. They're in the city, they're in the uh, capital in Wellington, is where I know there's a, a uh, group of Muslims in the city, in the country's capital. Yes, sir? What's the food taste like? Uh, it's very similar to what we have here, except if hopefully you like lamb or sheep. Have you ever eaten lamb? You've never eaten lamb? Well, that's what New Zealand, New Zealanders eat a lot of lamb, they eat a lot of sheep. So uh, the palate, and I'll, you know, when you go to McDonald's, you're not just getting beef. So I hate to break that to you. But, <laughs> but in New Zealand, it would also have some uh, sheep uh, mixed in with the uh, meat that they serve in New Zealand. Yes, sir? What sort of connection do they still have possibly heading with uh, Australia or British Commonwealth? Uh, with Australia, really none. I mean, the British Commonwealth, they're independent. But, you know, the Queen or, you know, the uh, Prince Charles, these guys, they still come down to New Zealand and, the New Zealanders, they all flock to the airport when that happens. But, um, you know, they're, but they're, they're independent. So. Mm -hmm. um, they would provide a lot of the income even in the home. And because of the way the, the country is set up and really being a socialized country, socialistic um, for women and children, they even the country goes out of their way to hand money over to women with children. That's why a lot of the uh, Maoris will have a lot of children because the government just keeps paying them. So, um, so that's uh, you know it's kind of like here we have uh, um, you'll get the tax credit you know, for uh, your dependents, but uh, in New Zealand they'll actually write a check for the women and children. So you can get that check every two weeks, every quarter, or once a year. And it, it's substantial. I mean, for um, a woman with two children, it's pretty close to $5,000 a year that they'll write them a check for. Uh, so, you know, it's, they, so you can, that, that check keeps on growing the more children they have. So the Maoris, that's why they have a lot of, a lot of kids. Yes, ma'am. Weather, summertime, it's about 70, 75 during the day. Winter would be where we'll be in Masterton. It'll be about 50 in the winter during the daytime. Um, overnight, you'll get cold. You can, you can get some snow. I mean, that's the average temperature, but, you know, um, it will get cold down there. Yes, sir? Um, 
the percentage in the country is about 8%, but uh, the Maoris have a large influence in the country of New Zealand uh, because they were the native people to the country. So uh, the government, is, it's, uh, they have their tribal lands. They sued the government because they built a hospital on the, on the burial grounds. Well, they run out of money. They sue the government again for the same thing for that building being on there because the land value increased. So, you know, they, they keep on suing the government, so the government keeps handing them money. But, um, yes, sir? It's about 50% tax in New Zealand. I sat down and I was figuring up all our taxes just a few months ago about, you know, what we were taxed on when we were there. And um, so you're pretty close to 50% of your income will go into tax. And there is a lot of exports out of New Zealand. They're very large. You know, it's a small country, but large exports of agricultural products. 50% of the world's lamb comes out of there. Uh, milk gets shipped all over the world. I know in Tanzania, BJ was saying you guys get, uh, uh, what do you say, cheese and some powdered milk in, New Ze- in Tanzania from New Zealand. So they, they export a lot of product around the world. So there's a lot of tax on their exports that go around. And within the country we do not get a break for you know because even though they're producing all that food and shipping it around the world we still pay whatever export price is for a lot of that product that's in new zealand and we don't get the best stuff at all goes around the world so we get everything else that's left over but um, it takes a lot of taxes to pay for uh, those type things <laughs> I saw another hand back there. Did somebody else over here? Yes, sir. No, a New Zealand dollar. They have their own dollar system. Right now, it's about a dollar, um, about a dollar forty-three New Zealand to a U.S. dollar. So you'll get a dollar forty-three for a U.S. dollar going into the country. Which most of the missionaries in, in years gone by, most of the guys that are there right now, uh, would have raised their support based off at least a dollar fifty, if not a dollar sixty. So a lot of those guys are um, under-supported based on the change in exchange rate. Oh, we'll pay tax. I pay tax. There's a dual tax agreement between the U.S. and New Zealand. So I would have to file in the U.S. and file in New Zealand. Before it was, as long as I showed New Zealand that I filed in the U.S. and my tax was paid here, then I wouldn't have to pay in New Zealand. But um, you guys support the Pipers that are in New Zealand. And uh, talking with Garth about six months ago, we were talking about all the tax laws because I'm trying to familiarize myself with all of them again. And um, he was saying now that, sure, the income comes from the states, but if you're living in New Zealand, they're going to make you pay in New Zealand now. So we'll end up paying tax in New Zealand. Um, And one of the other missionaries, he thinks what he has figured out is Sure, you pay in the states, and then you can show them what you paid in the states, and then they'll say, "Okay, you paid your tax, but really you should have paid this amount." And they'll say, "You can make up the difference here in New Zealand." So we'll have to pay the difference of what they think we should have paid. So there's they change the laws on you all the time. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Rain. It's a. Uh, we, we don't get, uh, you know, you think of Ireland. Ireland's gray, kind of rainy all the time on an island. But New Zealand, 
uh, doesn't get as many days of rain. I, we, if, I think I looked that up. I think it's about 100, 100 days a year that you'll have some type of rainfall around Masterton, right around 100 days. Anybody else have a question? Is that it? Yes. No, eh, I don't want to say they don't get thunderstorms because they can get a freak thunderstorm because they don't normally have lightning um, down there, nor do they uh, have tornadoes, but there has been a small tornado that would come in. Um, But that's not a normal occurrence at all um, down there. But um, nothing that's real severe as a thunderstorm that we would get in New Zealand, mainly just rain that comes in off the ocean. Lots of earthquakes. That's we trade off. We don't get the thunderstorms. We get the earthquakes. So uh, there is um, a few years ago, Christchurch had a real major earthquake. Um, and if you remember seeing the slides this morning, there was a gentleman in a black robe with a black pointy hat. He was a wizard in Christchurch. He's a real wizard in the city of Christchurch, uh, where the epicenter was for that earthquake. Oh, about seven years ago or so, maybe eight. Um, the epicenter was in downtown um, Christchurch, is where a lot of the damage took place. I shouldn't say the epicenter, I think it was actually Littleton, but most of the damage took place downtown um, Christchurch, right where the wizard would stand and propagate his false teachings against God every day. He's out there. The city pays him to be out there because he's a tourist attraction. So they justify paying him going out there, drawing people into the downtown area because he's a tourist attraction. So they pay him to go out there and propagate those beliefs in the city of Christchurch. But, um, so they had that major earthquake, and then this summer, or just uh, three months ago maybe, is when they had another major earthquake uh, in that region, just north of Christchurch. And um, a lot of the, there's one major road on the uh, east coast, goes from Picton, where you get off the ferry, and come down the east coast into Christchurch, and then down the south, uh, the east side of the island. And that road, uh, there are about 100 places along the road where the mountain slid across the road. They say it takes six to eight weeks to clear one slip, and they've got 100 of them that's covering the major road that goes down the South Island. So they've got their work cut out for them for the next several years, cleaning up the mess. Uh, one spot, if you saw any of the pictures, the road and the uh, railroad track run parallel to each other. And in one of the pictures, the railroad tracks shook over, went across the road, and it goes down into the ocean. <laughs> it shook the tracks that far, and it's laying down along the coast there. But So we do, we do get earthquakes. you have your hand up? Uh, methods of evangelism, we do a lot of the same things you do here. Um, when we got in the country, we were told door-to-door doesn't work. You know, don't even try it in New Zealand. But, um, you know, I'm stubborn, and I don't listen to people. (laughs) I shouldn't say that. I listen. But it's, you know, you don't want to, you look at it as another way of evangelizing, and you want to try everything, everything that's at your disposal to try. So one of the things that's common in New Zealand is what they call letterboxing. So you can go out to somebody's mailbox, their letterbox, and you can put information into their mailbox. Here in the States, you can't do that because the government owns your mailbox. But in New Zealand, you own it. So as long as it doesn't say no religious material, um, you can pretty much, from the church, put anything in. Some people say it says no junk mail on there, um, things like that, or no advertisements. 
that you're not supposed to put it in there, but I don't look at our stuff as junk mail or advertisement. So I still put them in those. If they have a problem, they'll call me. And I've never had a call from one of those. But we letterbox, put stuff in people's mailbox. And usually two weeks after we put that in their mailbox, I try to follow that up with a visit um, so they know where it came from. And uh, so we do door-to-door. We do the letterboxing. Uh, the kids' programs are a good way to reach out into the community. I was asked to do, in New Zealand, they, they call it, um, what they do is Bible in schools, in the public schools, which is really, uh, when I looked at the criteria, they came to me and asked me if I would do it in the, in the school system there in Ashburton. And uh, one of the other churches in town was heading it up and asked me if I wanted to take some time and do it. And I was looking, you can't talk about Jesus shed blood, you can't talk about kids being sinners, you can't, I mean, it was a whole list of things you can't tell anybody anything. So I said, what do you want me to do? Just tell them about, you know, David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale, and not get into anything. And that's pretty much all they want you to do. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, w- I don't want to be involved in Because I felt it was more dangerous to give the kids idea. You know, I know these stories. And when they get older, I must be a Christian. I know these things. I've heard these before. You know. So it's, uh, we started instead our own Tuesday night Bible club. And uh, I would rent the school. It was about two and a half blocks from our house. We'd rent that school, and after school got out, um, we'd go in, and we'd have an hour and a half and Tuesday nights. And we saw that group of young people grow to about 35 kids on a Tuesday night in that Bible club, and we saw a lot of those kids come to trust the Lord as their Savior on those, in that Tuesday night Bible club. One of those kids, um, my wife led to the Lord serenity. You know, you, sometimes you wonder, you know, are you making an inroad? You know, how are things going? And um, we had... A, a group of three kids coming out of one home. Uh, Putty was the oldest girl. Awa was the boy. And Serenity was the youngest. And Serenity was probably, what, about eight, nine? And uh, one day Dawn took Serenity home. And they'd been talking in the van on the way home. And Serenity jumped out of the van and was heading for the door. And she turned around come running back to the van. Mrs. Judge, stop. Wait, wait, wait. I understand what Jesus did for me now. And right there in the van, Dawn was able to lead serenity to the Lord um, that Tuesday night after Bible club. But, you know, it's those things that make everything worth it. When you're able to see these young people come to trust Christ as their Savior, it makes every sacrifice, what we think are sacrifices, worth it. You know, and are they really sacrifices? You know, this is what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, taking the gospel to the people in this world. And when we see one of these kids come to trust Christ as their Savior, it's worth everything. You know, we saw uh, in the pictures this morning was uh, three boys, Richie, um, Bronson, and uh, Jordan. Or three boys, and they, they were standing in my driveway making little, trying to make muscles in my driveway, you know, they're standing there. But they'd come over after school, and they'd knock on my door. They knew where my office was at the house, and they'd knock on the door and say, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we just want to come over and spend time with you. You know, that, that said a lot to me that, of the investment we were making in these kids because they wanted to come to our home, spend time with us. And, you know, it, was, it just reveals to you how big of a responsibility you have while you're there of, with these young people. And we saw those young men come to trust the Lord as their Savior. Awa, the one boy, uh, Serenity's brother, 
one day, um, I was standing at the pulpit, and he came up to me, and he put his arm around me. He said, Pastor Jerry, how, will you teach me to preach? And this is when we were getting ready to go on a furlough in 2008. When you get back from furlough, will you teach me how to preach when you get back? Out of a 10-year-old kid understanding his responsibility to reach his people in his country. You know, and those, those things make it worth it. You know, sometimes, sure, there's hardships. We all have things in our life. We all can sit around and say, you know what, this has happened or that's happened. But we should never let it stop us from doing what we ought to be doing as a Christian with our life, reaching people. You know, New Zealand is a, is a different country. It's a, it is a hard work. It's not like going into the Philippines and you can have, you know, 100 people show up at a church service. You'll go to New Zealand and sometimes at a church service when we first started, We'd sit there and we'd watch out the window thinking, hmm, who's coming today? And nobody show up. My wife and I and our two kids. And that's what we, we would have church. I'd still preach and, you know, my wife needs it. <laughs> I'll pay for that later. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, those times, sure, they're tough. But, you know, you look back on it, and those are special times to us. Being there and going through those things and seeing God work in other people's lives through all those times. You know, I think sometimes people, New Zealand was a place where we landed there two weeks. You know, they, they want to find out, oh, what are these Americans like? You know, let's find out all we can about a, these Americans. And then two weeks later, they're gone. It's like, where'd everybody go? You know, it, we, they've got all the information they wanted, and they're gone. You know, it's through those times and those struggles, you know, you, you draw close to the Lord through those things. And it's, you know, sure, we're there to reach those people. We're there because God wants us there to reach those people. And they may not like us being there, but you know what? I know God wants us there. And we're going to go where God wants us to be to reach the people he's knit our hearts to. And God's in our hearts to the New Zealand people. It's our desire to see churches. Man, I'd love to see a church in every town in New Zealand. I'd love to see hundreds of people saved in every town in New Zealand. Man, we'd like to see that here in the U.S. You know, the Lord's really knit our heart to those people in New Zealand. I'd ask you to pray for us as we prepare to go back to New Zealand. Our goal is to be there early summer this year. And I know there's a lot of work to do between here and there. And if that's going to be possible, but I know that all things are possible with God. And I believe he'll, he'll get us there by the date that we've set. And we'd ask you to pray for us that way. Do stop by our table in the back and take a prayer card and pray for us as we continue on deputation. We leave here today. We're going down um, Clinton, Maryland, down by D.C. We have a, meet, a week of meetings this week, and our schedule's very full for the next uh, 8 to 10 weeks. And we'd ask you to pray for us for safety on the road. You know, you're always worried about those other crazy missionaries. BJ's on the road right now, isn't he? <laughs> so but uh pray for us as we're on the, on the road and traveling and we all know what it's like to go through those seasons of sickness and you know you you try to remain healthy and you go in all the, all these different places and you and you try to do the best you can in all these places but pray for our our health and those things as well along the way but if you'll take your bibles i want to just share something with you real quick out of the uh, book of jonah 
and I, we won't be long this afternoon. I know that we've already taken time for questions. And if anybody else has any, any other questions, feel free to stop by our table. We'll be back there after the service is over. And if you have a question that you didn't want to ask in here, but you have, have a question, stop by our table and we'll answer your questions. When our, before we uh, went to New Zealand the first time, when our kids were little, they had never gone to New Zealand yet. And they just knew what we had told them. And when we did deputation, if you were to ask my kids... My daughter would give you an answer, and she she would, whether it's true or not, you got an answer. She thought she knew the answer to everything about New Zealand, and you could ask her, and she'd answer you. But we'll we'll try to answer you honestly. <laughs> Jonah chapter number one. I'm going to look just at the uh, first word in these four chapters real quick. Here in the book of Jonah, we know this story, and it's familiar to all of us. And you know it's. You can read through the story, or you remember this as a kid, being taught uh, the story of Jonah and the whale, and what an intriguing story it is about this man Jonah. And what God had asked him to do, and Jonah not listening to God and getting himself into trouble, you know, we all can relate that way. You know, through life, we know God wants us to do some things in life, and we don't listen, and we always end up in trouble, and we think we know better than God, and we end up making a mess out of things. But here in Jonah chapter number 1, the first verse says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And verse 3 says, But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarsus from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. You know, here in chapter number one, the first word in this verse is a word now. You know, that word now in chapter one to me represents Jonah's opportunities that God had given him. Now is Jonah's opportunity to do something for the Lord. You know, folks, and right now is your opportunity to do something for God right here. Right now, God's given you an opportunity here in Flushing, Michigan. You know, I grew up uh, just about 45 minutes from here, Mayville, Michigan. Anybody know where Mayville's at? It's not that far away. But I grew up over in Mayville as, as a young man, and my parents still live over there. All my family's up here in Michigan. So we know a little bit about this cold weather, too, that you have here. Um, I'm glad I'm heading south today. <laughs> but, you know, Jonah had an opportunity. It was right now. And, folks, you have an opportunity to serve God here, and it's now. You know, are you going to take the opportunity that God has given you here and are you going to take advantage of it or are you going to let it slip through your fingers and lose that opportunity? You know, I'm so thankful for people in Fostoria, Michigan that took advantage of the opportunity that God gave them. When we were kids growing up, we lived a half mile from Fostoria Baptist Church. We were Catholic. My parents, we went to Catholic Church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. My brothers and I were going to catechism. But you know what? There were some people that came down and knocked on our door on a Thursday night and invited us to church. My parents said, no, we're not interested. You know, and that went on for several Thursdays, people knocking on our door. It was always Pastor Fred Kinkle and David Smith that would knock on my door, my mom and dad's door, and invite my parents to church. You know, it wasn't... Uh, I'd say too long. It was probably two or three months my parents said, hey, you know what, the boys, they can go to church with us this Sunday, pick them up on the Sunday school bus. 
And it's because we rode that Sunday school bus and went to that church because somebody took the opportunity that they had to go out and knock on doors and tell their people in their community about Jesus Christ that my brothers and I rode that bus and I got saved in a junior church class. And it took two or three months going to that class before I realized, you know what, Jerry Judd, as a little kid, eight or nine years old, you're a sinner. The Catholic Church never told me that. But those people in that class that took the opportunities that they had to teach those young people about the Lord, they took that opportunity to teach. They go in those classes, and sometimes we get tired and we get weary of, man, i got to go deal with these kids again this Sunday. You know, here we go, these snotty kids, are gonna, all they're going to do is get rowdy. and You know what, I can pick out Jerry Judd, Don Thatcher, Anson. They're the bad kids that got all set over here in the corner. You know, and we can have that kind of attitude, or we can say, you know what, I'm glad for the opportunities God's given me to influence these young people. This year I've had two of the, young, two of the, <laughs> two of the men that were my Sunday school teachers in the past that have passed away and gone home to be with the Lord. And I'm so thankful. One of them I was able to visit here in Flint two days before he passed away. And to thank him, he had a stroke and non-responsive, but the day we went up there, I prayed with, some, with uh, Mr. Swadling. I said, thank you for being my Sunday school teacher. You know, his eyes were closed, non-responsive. I started talking to his wife, and he puts his hand up in the air. I was able to go over and hold his hand. His wife said, I think he wants you to come over here and hold his hand. I was able to go over and hold his hand and thank him again for the opportunities that he took to influence my life. You know, that ought to be all of us wanting to influence other people with our lives for the gospel of Christ. Sure, it's tough working with kids sometimes. And I'll guarantee it's tough working with teenagers sometimes. But you know, it's rewarding to look back and have one of those kids come to you and say thank you. And I look forward to the day that, and I pray that there'll be a day that some will come back and say, you know what, I just want to thank you for the time that you took to teach our class, or you invested in us. And folks, we all need to be doing that in our life. And are you doing that right here? Are you just letting the opportunities that the church gives you to serve and to serve other people and to help teach others and to tell others about Christ just slip through your fingers? You know, I have a saying in the front of my Bible that said there's only two things you can do with your life. You can either give it away or you can throw it away, but you can't keep it. You're going to give your life away to the Lord or you're going to throw it away on the things in this world. And when it comes to the end... What is, it going to, what is your life going to speak for itself? I threw it away or I gave it away? But Jonah had this opportunity, and it's right now. Folks, you have an opportunity right now. It's not in 10 years. It's not in a year. It's right now. Now is your opportunity. And don't try to play games with God. I remember as a, as a young man trying to say things like this. Oh, after I get married, I'll serve you with my life. After I graduate from college, I'll serve you with my life. After I have my family and we're established, then I'll serve you with my life. And you, we begin to barter with God about when we'll start serving Him. When He wants you to serve Him right now. 
Not after this or after that, but right now. Folks, use your life and the opportunities you have right now to serve the Lord. Jonah had this opportunity. But over in chapter number 2, the first word says, Then, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. You know that word then represents to me Jonah's consequences that he faced. He had this opportunity. He fled from that opportunity. And we all know the story how that Jonah ran from God. And back in verse number 3 of chapter 1, here it says that he fled from the presence of the Lord. You know, in the end of that verse, uh, he paid a fare to these men to run from God. You know, as I read that, you know, there's a truth in that, that every time you run from God, you will pay from running from the presence of the Lord. You will pay, in some way you will pay, from running from God. Folks, Jonah had that opportunity, but then came the consequences because he did not do what God asked him to do. You know, and as we hear the story about Jonah and the whale, you know, as a kid I often thought, oh, the consequences that Jonah faced from running from God were being swallowed by a fish. You know, that was a consequence. He got swallowed by a big fish. And he spent three days in the ocean, in this fish's belly. You know, as you look at that passage, I think that as you begin reading through chapter number two, as you read through that passage all the way through, you'll, you'll find that it wasn't being swallowed by the fish. Horrific as that may have been. But I believe what it was, the consequence was the separation from God. You know, it wasn't being swallowed by a fish, but it was that broken fellowship. Here Jonah was fellowshipping with God. He didn't do what he asked him to do. He runs from God, and now his fellowship is broken. And here he is in the fish's belly for three days in the bottom of the sea in a dark place with no light. You know, you ever think about that? (laughs) There was no candle. There was no light. He's in a dark place can't see the hand, his hand in front of his face in the bottom of the sea separated further than any man's ever been from his God in the depths of his despair because he did not take advantage of the opportunity God gave to him to do something for him you know sometimes we look at things and think how in the world am I going to do what you're asking me to do Lord, how am I going to accomplish what you want to accomplish? And all he's saying is just be obedient. I'll do the work. You just do what I ask you to do. You just go. You do what I'm asking you to do, and I'll take care of the rest. Jonah faced those consequences because he was disobedient to God. I pray there's nobody here in the auditorium today that's in those consequences, but... Reality is, there probably is somebody here that, are in, that is in this place of the consequences because you didn't take advantage of the opportunities. And you know, the good thing is, God is a God of second chances. Here in chapter number 3, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, And that word, and, represents that second chance that was God and Jonah doing something together in chapter 3. It was what God added to Jonah's life that second time the Bible tells us that God came to Jonah 
And Jonah had that opportunity to go and to do what God had asked him to do. And, and to accomplish God's will. But here in chapter 3, as we see what God adds to his life, it was only because he came to that place of repentance, and got his life right with God, that he was able to get on track and be able to go out and to do what he asked him to do. And, but, you know, you picture Jonah in chapter 3. You know, the first time you would have saw him in chapter 1, he would have looked normal. I mean, he would look had his clothes on, going to do, God asked you to do something, you go out and do it. At this point in time, man, he, he is a mess. You know, he's probably, I picture Jonah all bleached out white. I mean, we know what it's like to stick your hand in a, in a, a sink for a while or do dishes for a while. As a kid, my mom always made us do dishes. And, you know, we'd get messed around in the sink longer than we were supposed to be there. And you pull your hands out of the water, and they're all white, and they're all wrinkly. And that's just from a few minutes standing at the kitchen sink. Probably having a water fight or something like that with my brothers. But anyways, uh, you know, here we look at that and, and our hands in just a few minutes in water. And here Jonah is three days in that fish's belly. And he gets vomited out of that fish. I picture seaweed. I see all these things on him. Bleach white. And then now he's going to do what God asked him to do. And that physical state he was in. But even in the condition he was in, as he was obedient to God, because it wasn't Jonah that made the difference, it was God that made the difference. It wasn't Jonah's appearance, and sometimes we think that we have to look just right and be all together to do something for God. And Jonah chapter 3 tells a totally different story, because you don't have to look just right. You just have to be obedient. And God will take that person that's obedient to him, and he'll accomplish some things that the world would never comprehend. And folks, do you sit and do you tell yourself, hey God, when I'm ready, when I'm all put together, when I'm polished, you know, when I could speak like pastor speaks in front of the church, then I'll do something for you. Or, you know, when I can lead music and get up and do it and do it flawlessly, then I'll do something for you. You know, God's not looking for us to be polished. He's looking for us to be surrendered. And he'll take us, and he'll mold us and make us. And he will accomplish his will through us as long as we're willing to let him do the work in us. But you know, as you come to chapter number four, as we see the great things Jonah was able to do and going into Nineveh, and we know that the people in Nineveh, they repented of their sin. God had mercy on them. Something that Jonah could not comprehend, how that these people in Nineveh, God just spared them. And you know, you stop and think about what God was asking Jonah to do here in, in the book of Jonah. These Ninevites were ruthless, murderers, killers. They were the worst of the worst. And we can tell, get down on Jonah and say, look, why, did you, why didn't you do what God asked you to do? You know, folks, that's like God coming to you today and saying, I would like you to go out and reach the people of ISIS. And saying, I'm calling you to reach the people in ISIS. Ruthless murderers. No respect for life. And that's what God was asking Jonah to do, to go to Nineveh. It puts it in perspective a little bit about what God was asking Jonah to do. And then when we get to 
chapter 4, after we see these people get God's mercy, Jonah, in in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Boy, I hope none of us ever end up in this spot right here in chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah. Boy, could you imagine someone coming to your church, walking down that aisle, coming up and taking one of the pastors by the hand and saying, I'd like to trust Christ as my personal Savior. And you can picture in your mind the person that is that would represent the most wretched person you know. And them coming down that aisle, getting saved, and sitting there thinking, they don't deserve God's grace. They don't deserve what they just went forward for. And that's where Jonah was. And I hope that's never anyone in this auditorium would ever come to that place, that when you see someone walk the aisle of this church, that you would think, what are they doing? They don't deserve what God's offering them today. None of us deserve what God's offered us. But he gave it to us. Freely. He took my place on that cross so that I could have forgiveness of my sin. He took your place on that cross. And doesn't the Bible say for all? Not for some. Not for the good, for all. Christ died that day on that cross for all sin. And any person that walked that aisle deserves God's grace, His mercy. And Jonah here was displeased. Folks, I pray that that's not you today. And if that's you that. You know, you're critical about people that come down the aisle, that get saved. That, or you see God working in someone's life and you say, how can that be? That can't be. They don't deserve what they're getting and they don't deserve that. And they don't deserve God's grace. Folks, I, I, I would beg you to come to the altar. Because that's not an attitude that a Christian ought to have. I'm no better than the next person next to me. It's only by God's grace. Folks, Jonah is a good example to us in our life of opportunities that have been passed by. And someone that paid that price for not taking advantage of those. Today, I pray that You know what? In your life, you may know God has something for you to do right here, right now in this church. You know, maybe pastors have been asking for Sunday school teachers or people that work in bus routes or RU program. There's all kinds of things at this church you can be involved in. There's all kinds of people in this community and kids in this community that need you to be involved I'm so thankful for people that got involved at Foster A. Baptist Church that made a difference in my life. Folks, you can make that difference in somebody else's life right here. 
in this area and Flushing and Flint and you know however far your reach goes out you can make a difference but are you willing to take advantage of the opportunities that you have are you willing to take advantage of the freedoms we have in this country right now to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ there may be a day you won't be able to go out and knock on somebody's door you know we relinquish these freedoms because we don't take advantage of them. Folks, are you doing your part to reach the people here? Take advantage of your opportunities today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer, and I'll close in prayer. And Pastor, I'll turn it over to you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day you've given to us. Father, we thank you for the time that we could spend together. Father, I thank you for Trinity Baptist Church, Father, and I thank you for the testimony they've had through the years. and. Father, I thank you for their willingness to reach out into their community and, Father, to reach out to the hurting around here. And, Lord, I pray that there would be more here that would reach out to the people in Flushing. Father, I pray that all of us that know the opportunities that you've put in our path, that we would take advantage of those opportunities you've given to us to reach a lost and dying world for, for you. Father, I thank you again for all you do for us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.